You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, what's up, Foothills? How's everybody doing? Man, it's good to be here this morning. My name is Greg Gibson, and uh, I had the privilege and honor um, to be on staff here for a little over six years, and and now I uh, have the honor to pastor a little church plant in the heart of Washington, D.C. And so this church um, has been instrumental in the planting of, of that church. And, uh, and so if you're, you're new here today and, and uh, this is your first time here, you've, this is your first time here in a long time, um, I mean, you've come to a place that really cares about uh, the gospel and really cares about church planting, and, and we're proof and example A of that. And so it is such an honor to be back here this morning, and uh, I absolutely love this church, and uh, I'm not Trent Stewart, I'm not Todd Stewart or Landon Reynolds, those guys are preaching machines, and so what you got today is just a guy that's trying to plant a church in, in, in D.C., and, uh, and, and the best part about me is my wife, Grace. We've been married for nine years this Wednesday, and so that was um, an incredible decision nine years ago. We're going to be talking about decisions in a minute to, to um, get married and, and then have babies three years later. We've got a six-year-old named Cora. We have a, a son named Ivor, and, uh, and so... My wife and daughter are back in D.C. for Girls Weekend, and I brought my four-year-old son this weekend on a man weekend. So, um, man weekend at my parents' house. So, it's, it's going to be awesome. And so, man, it's so good to be back here. And Trent, thanks for letting me be here and to preach. And um, let's pray. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And before we do... Let's go to the Lord together. Father, thank you so much for just your, your gospel. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give to us in your son Jesus. And I pray today as we, we dive into this passage in Acts and we talk about decision making and the will of God and serving. Father, I pray that you would make us all more like your son Jesus uh, from, the, from the time the few moments that we have together today. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's jump into Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And this is what Luke says. He says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, which is amazing. There's 120 Christians at this time. And Peter said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit 
spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who, who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And so they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and, uh, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So, so we have a lot here in this text. And so here the disciples are all together, and they return to Jerusalem. Just a couple verses before, we see Jesus with them. After his resurrection, then he goes and he spends several weeks with the disciples he promises them the coming of the Holy Spirit. He then ascends into heaven. And now Peter here, who seems to be the leader of these 120, gather everyone together. He says, we've got to pick one to replace Judas. And they cast lots. The lot then fell on Matthias. And so, so what I want to focus on this morning, however... Is, is this first question, because I think when we answer this question, we can then kind of move into our big idea. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little bit of teaching this morning on making decisions and how to understand the will of God. But the, but the question I, I want to focus on really throughout the sermon is, is, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know God's will for my life, and how do I make decisions as a Christian? How do I make decisions as someone who follows Christ? And so, again, we're going to talk about the will of God and decision-making, and I want to do so here through the, the lens of Acts 1. And so maybe you've said things like this before in trying to make decisions. I just don't have peace about this decision yet. Or maybe you've said something like, God just isn't opening any doors yet, or, or I'm not sure which way God is, is leading me, or I read this Bible verse and I believe God is speaking directly to me here. Or maybe you even said or, or heard someone say, I literally heard the voice of God today, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And so when I was in college, it was the first time I had heard of, of this, uh, casting of lots think. And uh, anybody here, like, ever casted lots or seen someone cast? 
probably not going to raise your hand because none of you have. And this is my only time I'd ever seen someone do this. And I was an 18-year-old at a Bible college. And I go in across the hall to my friend's room. Door's wide open. I'm about to leave for the weekend. I'm just going in to say bye. And he's, he's like, got stuff on the floor. I'm like, we'll call him David. I'm like, David, what in the world are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm casting lots. Duh. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and, and so he goes on to tell me. He's trying to make a decision on whether or not he should date this girl. And so I'm like, all right, man. This sounds interesting, but I'm going to go. And, uh, and so he, he cast lots, and I guess he made the decision because I get back on Sunday evening, doors wide open, room is cleaned out. And I'm like, wow, that happened fast. And, uh, and so, so I call him on Monday, no answer. Call him Tuesday, no answer. Finally get a hold of him on Wednesday. He, he cast lots, again, whatever that means. And the answer led to him like dating this girl he felt as if God was telling him this is the girl that he's going to marry. So he, he takes that answer. He takes that to the girl. What does the girl say? Like, no, right? You're crazy. Absolutely not. And he packs his stuff up and leaves, right? Because he thought this was how you made this. He read, he read the Bible. He read Acts 1. He's like, huh. They cast lots for this disciple. Maybe I can cast lots for this girl, and God's going to work it all out. And so that was my first and only experience with casting lots, or whatever, again, that means. And so as Christians, here's here's where I want us to, to land. As Christians who follow Jesus, believe the Bible, how do we make decisions today? How do we do that? How do we understand the will of God? If we see things like this in scripture and we see people do things like casting lots to make decisions, how do we go about understanding that? How do we make decisions for our family, for our lives? And I can tell you in preparing this sermon, I was really convicted just by how quickly and somewhat seamlessly I seem to make decisions without proper biblical understanding of decision making. Whether small or, or large, I can usually make decisions on my gut or how I feel or, you know, I can survey kind of what, what's going on and, and then quickly make the decision. And, and I think for, for me and for this conversation, there's so much more for the Christian life as we follow Christ, as we are in community together and how we make decisions, small decisions, large decisions, And and, and here's what I want to do. I mentioned I'm going to teach a little bit. I want to break this down, this conversation of decision-making in the will of God. We're going to circle back to serving. So put your thumb there. I want to to break this down between the Old Testament and the New Testament for us this morning. In other words, how did people make decisions under the Old Covenant? And then how do we make decisions under the New Covenant? Again, as Christians who follow Jesus, led by the Spirit, and we say we actually do submit underneath the authority of God's word. How, do we, how should we understand God's will in making decisions? But first I want to define some terms because I think it's important for us to get all on the same playing field with our language and terminology, and it's all going to circle back here. So the first thing I want to define is a decision. You're like, I already know what a decision means, but I want us to get us all on the same page. Here's how I'm going to define decision this morning. A conclusion or resolution reached after consideration. Let me say it again. A conclusion 
or resolution reached after consideration. The second thing I, I want to define is, is covenant and contract. Because that goes into our understanding of the old covenant and the, and the new covenant. A covenant and a contract. A, a covenant, how we're going to define covenant this morning, is a formal binding agreement. A, a formal, unconditional commitment to love and serve regardless, and here's, here's the key, regardless of failure. So think marriage for a second. Marriage is a covenant, right, between two people. A man and a woman walk into marriage together regardless of failure and imperfection. That covenant should be, never be broken. It, it is a, a covenant that you you make. When you are saved as a Christian, God makes a covenant with you. You receive Jesus in your life and, and, and God makes a covenant with you. Um, a contract, let's define that for a second. A contract is a formal binding agreement between two or more people. So your doctor's appointment, your cell phone bill, your cable bill that you pay way too much for, got to get on Netflix, is a contract. can be broken, binding, between both parties. And so when it comes to Old Covenant and New Covenant, and you keep just quickly defining Old Covenant, and it's, it's a sh short definition, the Old Covenant, how we're going to define it this morning, is the covenant that God made with Israel in the Old Testament. The covenant God made with Israel. Is everybody following? You want me to repeat any of that? I saw quickly, no. All right, let's keep moving. Exodus 19, 5 through 6, Moses says this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so here, in this old covenant, God establishes this with his people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And he gives them three promises that are attached to this old covenant. The first one is to become a populous nation, right? So we see in, in Genesis 12, God tell Abraham, go and, and, and number the stars. If you can count the stars, that's how many of your offspring are going to be. If you can go to a, a, a beach and pick up sand and count this, the, 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 the grains of sand, that's how many your offspring is going to be. Then he promises a land. We remember this as the promised land, right, in the Old Testament. This is Genesis 13. And then finally, this Old Covenant has a third promise, which is for Israel to become a great nation. And this is Genesis 22 through 28. And so in that promise, right, under the Old Covenant, how did people make decisions there? How did they understand the will of God in this old covenant, this binding covenant that God made with his people? And I'll take you first back to Adam and Eve quickly. Adam and Eve lived with God in perfect communion with him before sin ever came into the world. For Adam and Eve, there's no casting of lots. Their only decision in the Garden of Eden is, do I obey God or do I not obey God? And then they sin, you know the rest of the story, 
sin not just affects the rest of the world, but it affects everything and in a micro level even affects how we make decisions and how God is leading and how we think God might be leading. And so after sin came into the world, God set up three offices in the Old Testament to guide Israel in decision-making, to guide Israel in, in, in the will of God. And these offices are prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets who spoke for God to the people, priests who walked with God or walked with the people for God, and kings who led the people. And so even when these three offices weren't present, God was leading. Stay with me. He led by a pillar of fire at night sometimes. You might know that story. He led by a pillar of smoke sometimes during the day. People casted lots, even in the Old Testament. One of the most famous casting of lots is, is in 1 Samuel 10. You guys remember there's a guy named Saul. They cast lots. It falls to Saul. He becomes what? King of Israel. Gideon in Judges 6. I don't know when the last time you read Judges was, but Gideon laid out a fleece to try and understand the will of God if he was going to take Israel into war against the Midianites. And so you see these prophets, priests, and kings, even, even they're trying to do different things to understand the will of God in their life. In the Old Testament, however, we see God speak directly to the prophets. And so it's not hard to figure out God's will. See this, when someone's speaking directly for you. How did Israel know God's will? They had prophets, priests, and kings telling them what to do. They had prophets who spoke to them. They had priests who walked with them. They had kings who led them. And so when, when, even when those things weren't present, God still worked and guided all the way up into the New Testament. Now we have Jesus raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and there's still these Jews are going back to what they knew. All right, we got to make a decision here. We see in the past fleeces and lots and smoke and fire and God make, help us make decisions. So let's, let's gather all the 120. Let's cast lots. They made a decision. It fell on Matthias. And so I don't know if you were like me, but when I was a kid, I would go out in my backyard with a basketball and I would take a couple dribbles and I'd be like, all right, God, if I make this, I'm going to the NBA. <laughs> Clank. <laughs> all right, double or nothing. If I make this, I'm going to the NBA. You know, I made, all right, I made it. I guess I'm going to the NBA. And as silly as that is, as silly as the illustration that is, as that is, how often do we sometimes as Christians make decisions Somewhat like, we would never say like, I went out and made, shot a basketball and then we did this. But, but sometimes they're about as equal in substance in how we go about making decisions in our life. And so decisions for Israel was simple. Prophet, priest, kings led them. And the new covenant for us as Christians who follow Jesus, are led by the Spirit, who submit fully to the authority of Scripture... How do we follow Jesus and make decisions under that? So I want to define the new covenant for us here. We still good? We still good? All right, just making sure. Here's how we're going to define the new covenant. 
If the old covenant is the covenant made between God and Israel, the new covenant is the covenant made between God and followers of Jesus. God and followers of Jesus. Here's what I want us to see. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the old covenant was about. In covenants in the Old Testament, the binding of covenants were sealed by what? Blood and sacrifices. In the new covenant, how's our relationship with God sealed? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus alone. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He's also the fulfillment, hope you see this, of those three offices I mentioned a minute ago, prophet, priest, and kings. Why don't we have prophets, priests, and kings today? Because we have Jesus, right? He is the fulfillment of those offices. He's the greatest prophet. He's the greatest priest. He's the greatest king. Here's, listen to this, what what, what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter eight, verses six through 14. So it's about six, eight verses here. Don't tune out and start, start thinking about how LeBron's gonna get beat today. So stay with me right here. Verse six, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers back when they had prophets, priests, and kings on the day when I took them by the hand to to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, says the Lord. And then he continues. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. They shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, hey, know the Lord. Why? Because they will already know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. And then he says this in verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old ready to vanish away. So do we cast lots today to make decisions? Christians, short answer, no. Why? Because we, again, if you're a Christian, led by the scriptures, salvation in Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit. That's why. We have God, the Holy Spirit. Israel did not, prophets, priests, kings. We have God, the Holy Spirit. I mean, just look at Acts chapter one, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in verses four. In five, right? He says, he says, you heard from me in verse five, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with who? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And then he 
He gets them all together. They ask him a question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a whole nother conversation I wish we had time for. But he says this. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when who? The Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I hope it's clear. As Christians who walk with Jesus, been saved by Jesus, we are guided not by any type of decision that we make, by people making decisions for us, but we have been given the power of who? The Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so I want to go back to our original question. How do we make decisions under the new covenant? If you're a Christian who loves Jesus and has been guided by the Spirit, and you live in submission to the, the authority of Scripture, how do you make decisions under the new, this new covenant? And so there's this very old, now classic, and super cheesy joke that goes like this. The patient says, Doctor, I can't seem to make up my mind about what I should do. Psychiatrist says, Have you always had trouble making decisions? Patient says, Well, yes and no. <laughs> this will change of pace for you. Some of you will laugh at that at lunch today. As Christians, here's what I want you to see. As Christians no longer bound by this old covenant that I explained to you quickly, you're led by God the Holy Spirit. We now no longer cast lots, but have a different path in making decisions, even major decisions for our life. Here, here, here are a couple verses. Here's Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. One verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. According to the Apostle Paul, the aim of every decision for the Christian is what? To please God. To please him. But we know that the prerequisite for God-pleasing decisions is that you must first be saved by God himself to even make God-pleasing decisions. So if you're not a Christian today, that's the first decision that you make. To believe in God and, and believe in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the Bible promises if we believe and confess our sin and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then he will give us salvation through Jesus alone. And then out of that, we make it our pleas to, to aim to our aim to please God. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. Here's two verses for you. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10. Two verses. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So hope you see this. The principal task in Christian decision-making is to learn what God would do. And are, you, are you ready for this? This is, this is intense. And then do it. And then do it. The obvious question then is, is how is the Christian to learn what God wants us to do when we're confronted with life's decisions? To get married, to go to college, to have a baby, to move cities, to, to, to change jobs, to spend money here, spend money there. What, what, how do we make decisions in life? And so 
And Gary, there, there, there's, a, there's a book called Decision Making in the Will of God by a guy named Gary Friesen. And it's, it's a pretty massive book. There, there's a smaller book that's more my speed. It's like 70 pages. If it's my speed, it's probably your speed by a guy named Kevin DeYoung called uh, Just Do Something. It's a great little read. You can probably read it afternoon in an afternoon. But he gives four principles for making decisions as a Christian. Four principles. One, this is, this is for the, all, this is like those who take notes. This is your time right here. One, where God commands, we must obey. One, where God commands, we must obey. So things like Christians should only marry Christians, right? Do not have sex outside of marriage. Don't do drugs. Like the, there, there are things where it's like, okay, God's pretty clear that we shouldn't, this is how you make a decision on this specific instance because God commands it, therefore we obey. Two, where there is no command in the Bible, God gives us freedom, and I'll parentheses here, and responsibility. So he gives us freedom and parentheses and responsibility to choose. So these are some of these questions like, should I move to this city? Should I take this job? Should I buy this car? Should I date this person? Should we get married? Should we have children? Questions like that. Three, where there is no command, so this kind of goes with number two, where there's no command, God gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom to choose. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And then number four, when we have chosen what is both moral and wise, we must trust God to work all the details together for good. When we have chosen what is moral, when we have chosen what is the most wise path forward, we got to trust that God's at work here and we leave it to him. And so I want to camp real quick on number three. Um, just for a minute and talk about how God gives us wisdom. And, and this list isn't original to me. And, uh, and so, but here, here's a good roadmap for how do we make decisions with wisdom. And it's, it's five quick things. One, prayer. Two, scripture. Three, community. Four, counsel. And five, desires. And I'm going to give you a, a 30 second explanation of each. First, prayer. Every decision, I would, I would say every major life decision starts there, right? And it starts with God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask and it'll be given to him in leaps and bounds. Ask for wisdom in making decisions. Second, scripture. And so if I'm going to make a decision, let's just say I want to move to another city. Does the Bible say anything about that? Because it might seem like, oh, it's kind of one of those things where, we, where the Bible doesn't say. But it does, right? It does talk about planting roots and, uh, and, and seeking the peace of where you live and loving your, your neighbor. Three, community. So I would ask this question. Do I have community there if we're going to? if we're going to talk about moving. Or, flip it, what does my current community say? Let me throw this question out there. I wish we had time just to like talk about it for a second. When was the last time you made a decision with your community instead of making a decision and then telling your community? 
Because sometimes in America, we, we just say, here's our community, wife, kids, immediate family, and then everybody else is just a friend until I make these decisions and then throw it out there. But I think as Christians, God created us for intentional community with other believers, other Christians, to really help and, and aid and guide and give us wisdom in, in decision-making. And sometimes we, we, don't, we don't think we need that. And, and, and that, guess what? Is pride, the root of sin, the Bible says. So when it comes to community, what does my current community say? And then for counsel. Man, I can't tell. So I, I pastor church in Washington, D.C. with like college students and young professionals. And like t- talking about this is, I have to constantly throw this at them. Because they'll, like our, our, our culture's so transient People, I, every week I'm, I'm getting uh, an email or a text or someone in passing being like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm not going to be here this Sunday. I'm moving to London. And you're just like, how did you go about making this decision? You know, you're a member of our church. Did, you didn't talk to us. You didn't tell me. You didn't, no one really, any, anybody even knew. And so I, I think with counsel, ask these questions. What, is, what does my pastor say? What does my, what does my small group leader say? What do other mentors in my life say? Making decisions with your community. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there's wisdom in many counselors. If the Bible says it, why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we seek that? And then five, desires. And so I think so much, and I see this with the church that I lead, people want to do one thing, but they're stuck doing another. And so here's what I do, but my, my heart is really here. And so I always press into that, like, well, if God has given you these desires, then maybe there's something here for you that we need to, to explore and think about. And so, so hopefully that serves you. This is a guide for making decisions. And some of you, that's brand new. Some of you, you heard that 25 years ago. For all of us, it's needed. Here's a Kevin DeYoung quote from that 65-page book a minute ago that I, I told you that you should read. He says this, God's will for our lives is much simpler than the conventional approach. The will of God for our lives is that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The most important decision we face is the daily decision, and I want you to see this. Here's here's where it kind of comes to a culmination. The most important decision we face is the daily decision to live for Christ and then to die to self. Do you see that? To live for Christ, to die to self. If we do those two things and we are free to choose between jobs and schools and cities and locations, God wants us to stop obsessing about the future, trust that he holds the future. We should put aside the passivity and the perfectionism and the quest for the perfect fulfillment and get on with our lives. God does not have a specific plan for our lives that he means for us to decipher ahead of time. Maybe you've heard this quote by Augustine. He says, love God and do as you please. I love that quote. Love God, do as you please. In other words, live for Christ, die to self, do whatever you want. I'll parentheses here with freedom and wisdom. Freedom and wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And I want you to see this from Romans 5. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is the new covenant conversation, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, hear this, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So let's bring this, let's bring this full circle this morning. This big idea that I want to give you is, is, is not about me, it's about serving others. And you're like, all right, show me the, the gymnastics that you're going to have to attach here to this. That's 100% true. That it's not about me, it's about serving others. But I wanted you to see this the best I could, this theological framework, before I gave you this imperative. Because I don't think serving is really a decision that you have to make. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says that you're never more like Jesus than when you're standing in the shadow of the cross. And when we say it's not about me, it's about serving others, I think the only person who can scream that at the top of their lungs is Jesus. He's the one who was the seal for the new covenant through his death and his life and ministry and death and resurrection and his blood spilt. Jesus is the only one who can really say it's not about me, it's about serving others. Because here we are in our sin and we want to say those things, but here's the beauty, we can't. Jesus says it for us. It's, he says it's not about me, it's about serving others. And then we get to come alongside out of his death and resurrection for us and here's what the Bible says. The things that are said about Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, are now said about us. That's amazing, isn't it? That is, that is unbelievably amazing. And so the question, should I serve in my local church? The short answer, yes. Do you need to cast lots to understand that? No. Do you need the Holy Spirit to guide you? Maybe where to serve, but not really even to make that decision. Because as Christians who have been saved by a Jesus who says, it's first, it's not about me, it's about serving others, we should be as followers of him first to raise both hands and say, sign me up wherever you need me to go. Like if you look at the life of the apostles here in verse 12 through 26, which we just read, there's 120 in the crowd. There's 11 apostles who give their lives to this. There's no compartmentalization. Do you, I hope you see that. There, there, it's, it's not like, all right, I gotta do this, gotta do this. It's follow Jesus unto death. Is, that's, their, that's their motto. And many of them did and died in similar ways that Jesus did. So should we serve? Yes. Should we give our lives to serve? Yes. And, and as we wrap up, and as, as the, the band comes back out, here's, here's th three quick application points for you in this. The first one is serving is a lifestyle, not a decision that you make. It's a lifestyle. The second one is the purpose of every decision you make is to become more like Christ. The, pur the purpose of every decision you make as a Christian is to become more like Jesus. And then thirdly, 
we serve not out of obligation or guilt or manipulation, but only to please God. That's it. So, so hopefully this morning served as a, a tool for you in, in saying, all right, I need to, to add some of these tools to my toolbox and making decisions, understanding the will of God. But hopefully it's just an, a, a quick reminder and encouragement that we serve a king who served us more than we could ever serve anyone. And out of that, we just say, here, I'll serve however you want me to. It's not about me, it's about serving others. So what's the purpose of every decision? To become more like Christ and to please God. And so I mentioned earlier, nine years ago today, or this past Wednesday, not today, Grace and I, my wife, got married. It was a beautiful day. We got married in this little bitty chapel in Wilmore, Kentucky. And it was, I remember it like it was yesterday, like 70 degrees outside. You know how they say things about Kentucky, like the grass is, is blue? It's not really like, I can say this, I lived there for like seven years. It's like the only thing I like about Kentucky is like the, the grass literally seems blue that time of year. And so it was one of those days, sun was out, beautiful day, 60 degrees, and uh, grass was, gosh, blue. And, and I remember not sleeping that night. I remember everything about the morning. I remember um, walking in with Trent, actually. So Trent and I walked in with our groomsmen. He was officiating our wedding. And bridesmaid walks down, bridesmaids walks down. Bride, it's like 25 bridesmaids because my wife had so many friends. I had to, like, beg people to be groomsmen. <laughs> but... Every single day of the last nine years has been a means of grace and God making me more like Jesus because of that decision. We had kids. Soon thereafter, every day as dad, the Cora, to Ivor, has been a means of grace in making the decision to have kids. We moved here eight years ago to help plant this church. We were, I, I feel like I say this all the time, but I remember like the first Sunday, we broke 100 people in attendance. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember chest bumping with Trent in the, the parking lot, and he like almost knocked me into one of the dumpsters behind High, or Christian School. Every day working at this church was a means of grace. making me more like Jesus because of that decision. When we'd move to Washington, D.C. to plant Veritas City Church, every day in that city through this church plant has been a means of grace to make me more like Jesus and just making the decision to do it. And so what are you trying to decide today? Let us as Christians stop making decisions so hard because of the gospel of Jesus, his saving work in your life and his Holy Spirit alive in you. You've been given the Spirit. Things like joining a church, serving, giving, being a part of the work of a church, these are just things we do freely because of what Jesus has done for us. But trusting whatever decision you make is the perfect will for your life. Why? Because if the Bible says it's true, then I will submit to that, even if the world tells me it's stupid, 
Even if academia tells me it's dumb, even if my own flesh sometimes is at war with the Spirit, tells me not to do it. But because of the saving work of Jesus in my life and in this church, in the church that I pastor and lead in D.C., and I've seen this at work in so many other people's lives, the will of God is perfect for your life. And I just echo what Augustine did is, is please God, love him, do whatever you want, in parentheses, with wisdom and responsibility. Father, we are so thankful for today. We are thankful that we look out, we see so many people who, who are at different places in, in, in their journey with you, and I, I, I just pray today that maybe there was something said through this and the, the preaching of your word and the power of your word that it would sink into someone's heart to lead them, to guide them, to, to spur them on. Father, I pray for the husbands in the room who, who maybe have fallen back into a season of passivity and they know they need to step up their game and lead and serve and care for their wife and shepherd their hearts and shepherd their, their children's hearts and, and everything else as far as jobs and money is worthless compared to those things. I pray for our husbands that, that they would step back up to the plate and love and serve and care and guide and lead and Father, I pray for our, our teenagers in the room who, who are making decisions on what seem like big decisions, but in the grand scheme of life are, are not. Surround them with the godly men and women that are sitting in these chairs to help them through this season of their life. Give them wisdom and guidance as they lead our next generation. Father, I'm so thankful for the leaders of this church. I'm thankful for my brother-in-law who gives and leads so sacrificially. I pray that through his leadership, we would just continue to see an army of people who love your son in this city. And we love you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.